So in our house this week, we're celebrating a record. Uh, this week, we broke the record. Uh, eight years and one week. It's the longest we've ever lived someplace without moving. Um, so, you know, from now on, every, every day adds to the record. And uh, so while there's uh, joy and happiness with that, it, it's a reality that brings with it a little bit of a sadness, right? Our family has moved around so much that sometimes it's, it's hard to know where home is. Um, all of us have this longing to be home, to find home, a place where you really fit, a place where you belong, a place where you don't have to worry about unbelonging ever being an issue. Every human being has that deep longing for home, that longing and its opposite, which we might call exile or estrangement, being made to become a stranger, alienation, being made to feel like an, an alien, an outsider, distance. Those themes are prominent throughout the scriptures because our God made us with this longing for home and he knows that we have lost the home that he has made for us. Um, that theme is especially strong in a part of the scriptures called the major prophets. This summer we've been going through different sections of the Old Testament and asking how do they point us to all that Jesus is and does. And this week we arrive at a section of the Old Testament called the major prophets, not major because there were some unimportant prophets and these are the important ones, but just the old Latin word major just means longer. So these are the prophets whose whose books uh, filled up a whole scroll by themselves. And uh, so the five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, shorter book called Lamentations, and then Ezekiel and Daniel. Throughout all five of those books, exile, the idea of God's people being uprooted from the home in the promised land that God had given them is a, is a critical theme. And today what we want to do is, is to, to dig in for a moment to how does that theme point us to Jesus? We're going to use some selections from Jeremiah 31, um, and, and they're going to presuppose some, some background that, so that we can understand what we're about to hear a bit better. We need to uh, put ourselves in, in the framework. Um, this is a map of the promised land. You'll see it a bright blue on top and a kind of a gray blue on bottom. After the death of Solomon, the third king over Israel, the one nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms. This is the beginning of losing their home. This divided kingdom into a nation called Judah in the south, that gray blue, capital is Jerusalem, and a northern nation called maybe confusingly, Israel. I thought Israel was the name of both of them when they were together. Yes. But then this northern kingdom was called Israel, its capital in Samaria. And as we read through the major prophets, that is always looming. By the time Jeremiah writes, Israel, that northern kingdom, has already been captured and enslaved and scattered among the nations under the empire of Assyria. That's in the 8th century B.C. And as Jeremiah writes the words we're about to hear read, Judah, that southern kingdom, 
is going to be carried off into exile under Babylon in just a few decades. And so that's the background for everything that Jeremiah writes. This sense that God's people, Israel and Judah, are or will soon be very far from home and they can't get back. But God will make a way. You're about to hear reference to that. You'll hear reference to Israel being scattered, that northern kingdom. You'll hear reference to Israel and Judah. And you'll hear reference to God making a way back through a new beginning, a new covenant. Jim's going to come and read for us from Jeremiah. From Jeremiah chapter 31. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though they, I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From Israel, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, when you're longing for home and something's missing, it's never quite right. For Trisha, that, that means the ocean, the sea, a lake, some water, big Big water has to be present, and for me, it's the mountains. I'm never going to be quite at home, and as much at home, unless I'm close to rocks and clear springs and rivers. And Trisha's never going to be quite as much at home as she feels when she sees the ocean and hears the pounding of the waves. One of the reasons that for us, um, a home away from home is Cornwall 
in southwestern England, where the mountains meet the sea continually. And uh, this is just one little taste in this photo uh, from our wanderings last summer during our sabbatical there. And you can see how we, we would both kind of find home there, um, where, where you don't have to make a choice between the mountains and the ocean. You have the best of both worlds. Longing for home. Every one of us has a, a place like that that we're longing for. Um, one of the ways that the Old Testament prophets point us to Jesus is by constantly describing for us what it's like to be far from home. They're, they're saying, we need everything that Jesus is and does because here's the reality. God has made a home for us, but we have lost it. You can trace that theme as far back as the beginning of Genesis and Eden being a home that is lost from which Adam and Eve are exiled and banished. Uh, will there be a way back home? What's it like to be far from home? The exile theme uh, in the prophets has the same function. The promised land becomes the new Eden, the new home. God is making a way to go back home, and yet that home is lost. If you read the stories of the Old Testament, how do God's people lose that home? It's through faithlessness, forgetting Him, becoming distant from Him. God's made a home for us, and we lost it as a result. What's it like to be far from home? Well, it's to be a people who are scattered. That's the language used in verse 10 of Jeremiah 31. He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Israel has become a scattered flock, sheep that are flung out into the wilderness, not at home under the shepherd's good care. In this case, the sheep are divided from one another. Israel and Judah intended to be one people, one nation, fragmented, fractured division. We have lost the home that we were meant to have where unity and peace would characterize our relationships with one another rather than division and estrangement. Uh, who are we distant from and estranged from? Not just each other, but from the God who made us. Uh, we are sheep far away from our shepherd. That's the image used in verse 10. And then you heard Jeremiah use another image later in the chapter when he talks about the way that his people have forsaken their relationship with him. He says, I made a covenant bond with them and they broke it even though I was their husband. I am the husband who pursues my people as my bride. And yet they want to be far from me. So what's it like to be far from home? Well, it's to be scattered, divided from each other, alienated from one another, estranged from each other, estranged from the God who says, I want to marry you. I want to take you as mine forever and not let anybody else ever have you again. I want that. We've lost that, and we can't get it back. Jeremiah uses this uh, very sad expression in verse 11. God had to redeem his people from hands too strong for them. Right? We've, we've lost home and we can't get back. Our hands aren't strong enough to make a way back home. 
You feel out of place? Do you feel lost? Do you feel far from home? Do you feel some days, most days, every day? Like you just don't quite belong? Like this is not the home you're looking for? Um, The prophets know that. God knows that. Jesus knows that. You're not alone. Not only did Jesus come to make a way home, he himself came, drew so near to the scattered lost sheep that he had to wander himself a long way from his home. He knows what it's like to feel out of place and lost and far from home. One of his earliest sermons preached in his hometown of Nazareth is recorded in Luke chapter 4. Um, you know, we, we did some surveys recently to ask, how's it going with you spiritually? And we got some feedback from that. And some of the feedback you get is like, yeah, I think I'm doing well. I might do better if, if some of Jimmy's sermons were a little shorter or, or if they weren't so intellectual. You know, like, and, you know, hearing that says great feedback. It's good to, to kind of have a check and go, oh, yeah, I get blind spots. But nobody ever said, well, we kind of want to murder him. That's what happened in Luke chapter 4. Jesus preaches a sermon in his hometown, and people want to kill him. They try to throw him off a cliff. And Jesus comments, um, it's only in his hometown that a prophet has no honor. He knows what it's like to not be welcome in the place that should be home. He knows what it's like to feel rejection murderous rejection, not just garden variety unkindness, but we hate you so much we wish you didn't exist anymore level of unkindness. That's what it's like to feel far from home. The scriptures understand it. Our Savior understands it. Every time the prophets describe what it's like to be far from home, they're pointing us ultimately to everything that Jesus is and does. We also find that when the prophets describe uh, what it's like to long for home, they describe the home that we are longing for. There are these beautiful images throughout the prophetic books of the home that we are longing for. And so as he writes to people who, in the case of Israel, already exiled from their home under the Assyrians, in the case of Judah, They're going to be exiled very soon under the Babylonians. Writing to those people, Jeremiah says, let me describe for you what God says about the home that we're all longing for and the home he's going to bring us back to. And then you get these descriptions starting in verse 12, right? They shall come and sing aloud, celebration, joyous song. They shall be radiant because of the goodness of the Lord. They're going to enjoy, the home is where you enjoy God's goodness so much that you glow, that you radiate, that it shines out of you. You can't stop smiling because God's goodness is so prominent and prevalent and you don't have to fear losing it ever again. That's the home that we're longing for over the grain and the wine and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd. And to you and me, that sounds like more grain and more oil aren't my home. 
This is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 7. God is reminding them, I told you I'd make a home for you. And I told you what would happen if you abandoned me, that you would be uprooted from your home and you would lose it. And now I'm promising you, I'm taking you back to the home that I made for you, a life of abundance where life will be, verse 12 says, like a watered garden. And you won't languish anymore. You won't be like, well, like, Flowers in Atlanta, summertime, withering under that hot, dry heat. That's not home. Home is when the garden is flourishing and blooming. And the young women are rejoicing in dance. And the young men and the old men are happy and merry. I will turn their mourning into joy and give them comfort. And where they have sorrow, I will replace it, God says, with gladness. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people will be satisfied with my goodness. There are pictures like that throughout the prophets of the home that we're longing for. Every one of us is longing for a place where the scattered have been reunited, where the displaced have been welcomed home again, where the people who were in captivity have been ransomed that's the language that Jeremiah uses. Verse 11, the Lord has ransomed Jacob. Someone was holding Jacob, another name for Israel, captive and didn't want to let go of him. And God said, I will pay the price. I will give you the ransom money to set my son free. The alienation is over. The estrangement is ended. God will pay the price to bring us home. What kind of home will it be? A place where goodness and gladness and feasting last forever. Are you longing for home? Yes, you are. Of course you are. What kind of home are you longing for? It's probably not a home where you feel like a stranger. It's probably not a home where you feel like a withering garden plant or a lonely wandering sheep. You long for home, you're not alone. The prophets are telling us we need Jesus. All that he is and all that he does, every time they describe the home we're longing for and the longing for home. Before he was arrested, Jesus prayed many things. This is one of them. Do you hear how Jesus I spent enough time away from home, which for him is not so much a place, but a deep connection with his father, which he had known since eternity, and which the hardships of life in this world had begun to, well, to maybe create a little sense of distance. And he says, Father, I'm ready to come home. And the way home is going to be hard. It leads through betrayal and arrest and crucifixion and death. But Father, I am longing for home. Would you glorify me in your own presence? I want to be someplace better than this. And I'm not there. Would you do that for me? You felt that longing? You want to go to that kind of home Jesus understands what that is like. 
the prophets point us to Jesus in a third way. They, they, they promise us that God is going to make a way home. And every time they do that, even if they don't know the name of the one through whom God would make the way, they are telling us we need all that Jesus is and does. They are telling us that we need a way home even when we can't make one. And that's the point of Jeremiah's language in verse 31 of this chapter. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Do you hear that? He's talking to scattered, divided people. That divided kingdom. The house of Israel has already been taken captive under Assyria. Judah, your turn is coming. But the days will come when I will put an end to all of that and I will make a new covenant. What is a covenant? It's a personal pledge. In this case, God is the one making the pledge that binds a relationship. If you got married in an Episcopal or Anglican church, maybe this happened for you as it did for me and Tricia, married in her hometown church, an Episcopal church, Church of the Holy Comforter. As the vows are being exchanged, the priest takes this stole, this long, uh, thick uh, band from around his neck, and he actually ties a knot around our hands. Right? That, that binding, that sense of something is tying these people together. That's a covenant. God says, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to tie myself to you and bring you home. The way home is open because Jesus has lived out this new covenant. He, he lived out all of its promises. Listen to what God promises will be the marks of being at home at last. At last we will be at home when, verse 33 says, um, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. We will be at home when we naturally, from the inside out, honor the God who made us. That's what Jesus says is our first duty, right? First and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus has lived that. He lived this new covenant from the inside out, the deepest core of his being. He always honored his God, his Father. The way home is open because Jesus has lived out all the promises of the new covenant. His identity was completely shaped by his relationship with God. That's another promise of the new covenant. I will be their God, verse 33 says, and they shall be my people. My relationship with my God will, will shape my identity in this foundational way. Jesus has lived that out. The way home is open because Jesus has experienced all the promises of the new covenant and he's experienced all the penalties of the new covenant. Verse 31 says, The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's what English translations say because in English it doesn't make sense to say what the Hebrew says. The days are coming when I will cut a new covenant. In the Old Testament, making this kind of solemn bond and pledge always involved bloodshed. 
It, it involved maybe a sacrificial animal being cut in half as a demonstration of if anybody tries to tear me away from the one I'm binding myself to, they will die like this. That's the ferocity of God's commitment to loving his people. The shepherd won't let the wolves tear his sheep away. The husband won't let someone else steal away his precious bride. But what if the bride isn't stolen? What if she just wanders off on her own? What if the wolves don't get the sheep? What if the sheep say, we don't need the shepherd? The covenant was cut. Someone still has to pay a penalty. And in the new covenant, God says, I will pay the penalty. Verse 34 ends this way. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I will pay the penalty for everything that created distance between me and them, even though I did nothing to create that distance. If you're in a covenant relationship, your first duty is to make sure no distance comes between you and the one that you've been bound to. And if you create that distance, a price has to be paid to close it. And in the new covenant, Jesus says, I'll pay the price. Jesus knew this about himself. He knew that he was fulfilling everything the prophets had promised. And so in Luke 22, as he's celebrating the Last Supper before his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion, he uses Jeremiah's words. This is the only place in the whole Old Testament that the phrase New Covenant is found. And Jesus uses exactly this phrase. The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Every cause of distance will be permanently removed as I pay the penalty for your wandering so that I can bring you home again. The prophets are always pointing us to Jesus. They're telling us we need someone to bring us home because we aren't at home. They're telling us we need someone to bring us to the kind of home we're longing for. They're telling us that we can't make a way home. But God has done that through his son. Can we take a few minutes and think about what it would mean to live this out? What is life on the way home like? One skill I think we need to learn is how to ask good questions. Particularly, how to ask your emotions good questions. How to interrogate your emotions. What are your emotions telling you about home? Your emotions are these kind of instant, visceral, reflex reactions to what's going on around you or inside of you. Typically, we have very little control over them in the moment. But they're almost always pointing us to something much deeper. And that's where we need to learn to ask some questions.
How does that reflex response in the moment point to a deeper desire for a home that only Jesus can bring you to? Let's, uh, let's think about the emotion of anxiety. This week when you experience anxiety, as all of us will at some point. Now, some of us are going to experience it at, at what we would call sort of normal life in a fallen world levels. Some of us will experience anxiety at, at more crippling levels. When anxiety comes, ask it some questions. Ask it, what, what are you telling me about the kind of home I am longing for? I am longing for a home where the future won't bring anything hard. It won't bring anything scary. It won't bring any bad news. I'm longing for a home where all the roads are straight and there are no curves and corners for bad things to hide behind and pounce on me when I'm not expecting it. Anxiety is that sense that somehow the future is unknown and it's, and it's going to do something evil to me. And I'm longing for a home where the future isn't like that and I can finally rest. I can finally rest let my guard down because there will never be another bad surprise of any kind ever for me or for anyone I love or for anybody else that I don't even know. When anxiety comes knocking, ask it some questions. What are you telling me about the kind of home I'm longing for? Right now I'm not in that home. That's why I'm hearing anxiety's voice. But there is someone who has made a home like that for me and will take me there. One more negative emotion. How about jealousy, envy, rivalry? Something good happened to you and I don't like it. I wish it had happened to me instead. You know, you filled out a survey that said, hey, man, Pastor Steve is awesome in every way. Pastor Jimmy, kind of lame. Ah, I want people to say Steve stuff about me. Oh. <clears throat> what kind of home am I longing for in that moment? I'm longing for a home where there's enough to go around for everybody. I don't feel that in the moment of jealousy. In the moment of jealousy, I feel like there's just this much and I want it all and you don't get any. But that jealousy is pointing to something better, something deeper. What I'm really longing for is a home where there is plenty of everything to go around and nobody comes out short. I'm longing for a home where there's plenty of love to go around so that I love Steve or Luke, Jonathan, Jim, I, I, everybody. I, well, I love you enough that I'm happy when something good comes your way. I don't have to feel jealous about it. I'm longing for a home where there's enough faith to go around that I trust my father has given every one of his children just what they need. And if you don't watch out, when you start thinking about that home enough, it'll change the way you live here and now while you're waiting to go home. All right, one last example. Can we interrogate a positive emotion? Anxiety is kind of negative. Jealousy kind of negative. What about joy? What about when I experience something in this life that makes me happy? That is like, this is good. Life is good. Not completely good. Not completely good forever in every way. But man, this is good. Let that moment do 
on you the work it's meant to do. It's not meant to make you feel like you're already at home, but it's meant to awaken a longing for your real home. You may not be old enough to know what a mall food court is, <laughs> right? But maybe think airport food court, right? You, you would go, there was a day when you would go to the mall and there were like 15 restaurants around this open seating area and they're all vying for your dollars. They want you to be their customer. And so they would uh, put an employee out there with a little platter with little cubes of whatever it was, chicken or some vegetable or some sweet dessert, and stuck on a toothpick. And you could walk around and graze if you were a cheap junior high student and um, get all this free food. But those little bites of stuff on the end of the stick were never meant to substitute for a full meal. Right? They were meant to awaken your longing for something better so that you would come deeper in and have the real experience. Moments of joy in this life, they are real food. That was real food on the end of the toothpick. It wasn't fake. It wasn't cardboard. It wasn't a substitute. It was just a little bit of something much bigger and better. Moments of joy in this life are like that. They really are good. But they're meant to awaken a hunger for something better. Something that only one person who has ever walked on this planet is currently experiencing. And that's Jesus. He is the only one who is at home. He is the only one who is living now in a resurrected body that cannot grow ill or injured. It cannot be damaged. It cannot be hurt. It cannot die. His body is experiencing home. His soul cannot be tempted to do anything evil, to want anything unloving. He once could be tempted in those ways, not anymore. His soul is at home. Jesus has made a way home. Ask questions the next time you feel happy, the next time you feel anxious, the next time you feel jealous, envious, joyous. Ask questions. If you ask the right questions, they will point you to Jesus. And if you trust him, he will take you home.